ever seen a zombie? I mean, like a, a real-life zombie. Don't worry, they, I, haven't, I haven't either. You don't need to, to pack up. That's it, we're out. I did not expect to come to this church and have the pastor ask me if I've seen a zombie. No, we're fascinated with zombies, at least our culture is. Uh, we've got TV shows, and in fact, one of the largest uh, watched and highest grossing TV shows in, of, of all time just recently wrapped up in 2022, The Walking Dead. Can't say that I was a fan or watched many of the shows, if any of them, I don't think. Uh, but it was all about zombies, the, the undead, the living dead. Uh, this is a pleasant concept to start off with, isn't it? I don't know what draws us to it, but it, it, to be a, a zombie is an oxymoron. It's a paradox. Nothing can be living dead. You can't have something that is dead and yet appears to be alive. And yet our culture is fascinated with it. And unfortunately, I would argue that some of our churches are filled with people professing to be alive who are actually dead. What I hope to show us this morning in John chapter 5, what I hope that Jesus shows us this morning in John chapter 5, is that there's no such thing as a Christian zombie. There isn't. There's no such thing as the living dead in the kingdom of God. Take your Bibles to John chapter 5, if you will. John chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 24, uh, which really kind of goes with last week's context, but also sets the stage for this week. So I, I put it with this week in dividing up the passage here. But in John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus is still reaching back to uh, this concept that he was establishing last week, that he and the Father are equal with one another. You remember verse 23 was kind of the culmination of everything last week when he said, look, everyone needs to honor the Son, Jesus, just as in the same way that they honor the Father. That there should be no difference in our worship and exaltation of Christ from our worship and exaltation of the Father. That's a truth that you and I today sitting here in the church, we acknowledge and we think, well, yes, of course, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal but for the Jews listening to Jesus in the first century, that was such a radical statement. That was a statement that they believed was worthy of death. Well, the equality between the Son and the Father is the theme that he continues on here in verse 24 when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, again, truly, truly, is him calling attention, saying, Listen, this is truth. This is fact, what I'm about to tell you. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, the implication there being that the one that sent him is Yahweh, God, the Father. And believes him who sent me, he has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I want you to consider the power of the word of Jesus for a moment. Think through some of the things that we read about in Scripture that the word of Jesus does. In Mark chapter 5, we find that the word of Christ casts out the demons. It's a pretty powerful thing. We continue on, though. The word of Christ not only casts out the demons. In Matthew chapter 9, he heals the, ble the bleeding woman. Of course, she reaches out and touches his garment, but then he converses with her and heals her in his conversation with her. The word of Christ is a powerful instrument. Third, the word of Christ also forgave sins and, and healed the lame. You remember the story with the, the lame man and his buddies. They, they try to get in to see Jesus and they can't quite get in. And so they go up on the roof and they dig a hole in the roof and they lower the guy down. And Jesus looks at him and he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And you remember he kind of was hoping for something more than his sins being forgiven, wasn't he? Hence the hole in the roof and the lower down. 
Well, then Jesus comes after that and he says, and I say to you, get up and take up your mat and walk. And he does. The word of Christ, the power of the word of Christ. And then we come to uh, John chapter 4, which we've been in 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 not too distant uh, history together, where he heals the official's son with his word. Go, your son will be well. You remember he went home and learned that it was at the hour that Jesus said that, that the boy was healed. Or in the immediate context of our passage in John chapter 5, right? When Jesus healed the paralytic by saying, get up, take up your bed and walk. The word of Christ is a powerful word. And, and even in this context, John is trying to get us to understand the power of the word of Christ. For what purpose? Well, remember, John told us that in John chapter 20. He said, I've written these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that believing that you might have eternal life. Well, here... John, through recording the words of Jesus, so Jesus, rather, is going to make that point directly. Not just because we see him cast out demons or heal a woman or heal the lame man or heal the official son or give uh, the ability to walk to the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, but because of what he says here, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me, he it is that has eternal life. Jesus is making yet again another bold statement. In the presence of these people, he's putting his word and the word of the Father on par. The Jews would have understood that the, the word of God in the Old Testament was necessary for them to understand and to have eternal life. They would have understood the authority of the word of God in the Old Testament to grant life and to dictate what life should look like. And now here was this rabbi that was on the scene that was putting his word and God's word on par together saying, believe my word, believe his word, and you will have eternal life. Well, that message was true for them, and it's true for us today, too. But how do we hear the word of Christ today? For them, it was in person. He was there in the flesh, and so they heard as he spoke. They listened, they heard, and they received it. And believing him, they would have eternal life. But what about for you and me, sitting here, removed from this by almost 2,000 years. How do we hear the word of Christ? Well, the answer is in that which is in your hands, that which is on your lap, that which is on your phone or on your tablet, on your device, on the pulpit here, this book. It's called what? The Bible. This is where we find and where we hear the word of Christ. This is where we are confronted with the truth of his word and where we get to believe in the one who sent him today. Well, what does the word of Christ do for us? Well, big picture, it gives us what he's talking about here, eternal life. In other words, salvation is found in the word. When we come face to face with our need for Christ as our savior and we understand what he's done for us and we receive forgiveness of our sins when we repent from our sins and trust him as our savior, that's the big ticket item. That's believe him, believe his word, and you will have eternal life. But it doesn't stop there, does it? There's a reason why we don't just get rid of our Bibles after we come to faith in Jesus, isn't there? There's a reason why we have them and study them and, and, and take the time to have a daily Bible reading plan and why we do a daily Bible reading podcast to, to help you get in the Word of God. And the reason is because ultimately, at the end of the day, the Word of God makes your life better. It does. In fact, that's our first point this morning is just that. Make your life better with the Bible. Make your life better with the Bible. Yes, in this context, in our passage in John 5, Jesus is talking about eternal life. I'm going to argue here as we go on that that has bearing on the life that you're living right now. 
But if that's, if, if that's where we stop, that, that just eternal life, well, okay, right there, God's word has made your life better already, hasn't it? Of course it has. But it doesn't stop there. The, the Bible is, is so rich and so, uh, so abundantly overflowing with, with ways that it improves our lives and makes our life better. During COVID, uh, my family and I, we would take walks together down to our neighborhood park. We lived in, in uh, California, um, and so they, they actually <laughs> roped off our neighborhood park and wouldn't let our kids play on it anymore because apparently that's where COVID lives is on the playground. But before that, we, we would walk down to the park together. The reason why we did that is because it made life better for us. You probably remember being, well, maybe not those of you native Texans here that lived in the land of freedom during that season. <laughs> the rest of us, if you didn't, you may remember the, the lockdowns. You may remember the, the, the idea that, that you weren't really supposed to leave your house except for necessities. You may remember that every single headline was about COVID. You may remember the updates of the stats of the deaths and the hospitalizations and this, that, and the other thing. You may remember that in the feeling of, man, I just need to get away from it all. I just need to get out. And so we would go. We would walk outside and we would take a walk down to the, the, the park. And it was, a, it was something that made our life better during that season. Something small, but it had such an impact on us. It gave us a fresh outlook on life. It gave us fresh air. It gave us different perspective. It reminded us that, man, God's in control, not my Twitter feed. Guys, the Bible has such a beneficial impact in our life. It, it provides so many blessings to us. In fact, in Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, uh, the psalmist describes some of these blessings for us. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And then he goes on and he says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, he says, are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord, he says, is pure, enlightening the eyes. These are all the benefits that we find in the word of God. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And then he goes on and he says this, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter are they than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, he says, by them your spirit, or your, your servant rather, is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. This is David reflecting on the benefits of God's word, the word of Christ, the word that makes our life better. But let's get down to, to some brass tacks. How does God's word, how does the word of Christ make your life better? What, did it, what does it do for you? How about first, it, it encourages you. You spend time in the word and it encourages you. You bring your discouragements to God's word and are reminded of his goodness. You're reminded of his plan. You're reminded of his sovereignty. You're reminded of his grace. You're reminded of his mercy. You're reminded of forgiveness. You're reminded of grace again, time and time and time again. The word of God will encourage us. What else can God's word do, the word of Christ do when we come to it? It sanctifies us. The word is the medium that the spirit uses to make us more like Jesus. It makes us more godly. When we come to the word, we see what godliness looks like. We see what sin is and we are, are, are made more like Jesus because of our time in the word. If you want to be more like Jesus and you find that you're struggling in that area, ask yourself, how much word am I really taking in? The word of God benefits us as it sanctifies us. The word of God also, though, not only that, it, it provides perspective. 
I don't know about you, but, but sometimes in my life, something in my life, I can zoom in so close on an issue, on a, something causing me anxiety that it, it becomes massive in front of me. It's like on the Apple phone cameras, the, the micro photography, whatever that's called, macro photography. I, I'm using opposite words here. I don't know what it's called. But you know when you get your, your lens so close and all of a sudden it, it, it switches and then you see like the pores on the leaf that you've got the camera on? Sometimes in life our trials can become that way and the word of God helps us by zooming us back out to remind us, you know what? It's, it's not as bad as it looks right now. There's hope. There's, there's the reminder that God is sovereign over this. My wife and I used to do this for each other when we were in college because we would get so obsessed or consumed over, over a paper, over an exam that's coming up, and we would start to panic over, man, I'm going to fail this exam, and I'm never going to be able to be a pastor, and no one's going to like me, and you're going to break up with me, and this is going to be the worst, worst exam ever. <laughs> and we would say to each other, hey, you know what? Zoom out for a minute. God's word gives us that. It helps us to zoom out and gain some perspective on life. But what else does it do? It gives hope. It gives hope. Christian, this world is dark. It is. It's a, it's a dark place. And I don't know what your hope is in this morning, but if it's not anchored primarily in God's word, it's in the wrong place. God's word is the greatest source of hope that you have. It's, it's greater than the next political election season. It's greater than overcoming the sickness or disease that you have. It's greater than your kids being successful in life. It's greater than you getting the promotion at work. God, the hope contained in the word of God is greater than all those things because it transcends all of those things. It, it's an eternal hope that we find in God's word. What else does God's word do for us? It arms us against sin. Not only does it sanctify us, but think about Christ in the wilderness. When he's tempted by Satan, how does, how does Jesus, how does our Savior respond to Satan? He responds with the word. So as you want to grow in holiness and sanctification, as you want to be better armed, we do so with the word of Christ. The word of Christ provides that benefit for us so that you can go out armed to do battle against the, the, the temptations that you will encounter in this world. The word of Christ also teaches us about God. And this is why it's always necessary. We never get to the place where we're like, well, I'm done. We, we serve an infinite God. And in this book, he has communicated to us in a way that we can comprehend uh, uh, the fringes of his garments, as Job says. We will never be done learning about God. And the Bible is a source for us to continue to learn about him. It also calms your fears, your anxieties. These go hand in hand with some of the other points I've already made here, so I won't belabor this one. But if you're an anxious person, God's word is your best friend. It's your best friend. The, the, and, and here's the thing, y'all. The benefits, even though here in the passage it says, whoever hears my word and believes who, him who sent me has eternal life. What I want us to understand is the benefits of the word of Christ aren't just about heaven. It's not waiting for that, for you to, to realize some of the benefits today. The word of Christ will make your life better. But the question is, what do you choose over the word? You choose things like this, like social media. I'm not going to go through all of these statistics, but I just want to hit on a couple of these things. Just the, the staggering impact of social media in our life. In 2023, there were 1.8 million apps available in the Apple App Store alone. 1.8 million. Across all the different platforms, that number went up to 8.9 million apps available for people. In 2022, people spent approximately 86 or yeah, 86.6 or 86.8 billion dollars in the Apple App Store. 
billion, $86.8 billion on trinkets for our phones. Little squares that you can click on and open up and do things with. As we go on in in some of these startling statistics, 4.95 billion people on social media in 2022. Think about the world's population. We just passed 8 billion, I believe. Over half of the world's population on social media. Think about that. It's staggering when we consider these things. 79% of the adult population makes up that number. These are 18 and over. So this is not just a, a, a problem with high school students and junior high students. Social media is everywhere you look. In fact, what's even more staggering, come up with how much time do you think the average person spends a day on social media? Just come up with that number in your mind. This is an average, by the way, okay? So that means there are people that spend far more than this number. Two and a half hours a day on social media. Now, I doubt any of you are time blocking on your calendar at the beginning of the week, two and a half hours a day to spend on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok. But every time we pull our phone out and, and open up the app, as you add up all that time, that works out to about two and a half hours a day. If you take sleep out of the equation, you're spending about 15% of your day on social media. That's staggering. That means it's 15% of your life. Maybe social media isn't the problem for you. Well, how about the streaming distraction? Can we talk about that for a second? I'm just going to highlight one company in particular, Netflix. Netflix had... In 2022, 238 million Netflix subscribers. 238 million. Their revenue was 36 or 31.6 billion dollars with Netflix. Okay, those are numbers. Whatever. Okay, here's the number that just floors me. In the first half of 2023, the first half, the first six months of 2023, last year. People streamed on Netflix alone 96 billion hours of content. 96 billion hours. We don't have a frame of reference to understand how many hours that is. You know how many years that adds up to if you were to to break that down into years? That's over 11,000 years streamed of Netflix content in the first half of 2023 on one streaming platform. That's 11,000 years. We may disagree on this, but here, I'll I'll show my cards. Young Earther here, okay? That's more than I believe the age of the entire universe to be. In the first half of 2023, on one platform. Maybe for you it's not social media. It's not this. Maybe it's podcasts. Maybe you're on the true crime podcast binge, and that's your thing. Listen, if you're looking for the extra 30 minutes to get in the Word of God, I think we've got it, is is just what I'm trying to drive at here. To make your life better with the Bible, I think we've got it. But the problem for us, I don't think really for the majority of us in the room, is time. I think we say that, but I don't really think that's the problem. I think the problem is we don't believe this. I think the problem is we don't value God's word. We value these other things. And so we allow our time and our minds and our focus to be hijacked by stupid little things on this that do nothing for us eternally instead of being focused on what does do something for us eternally. And not just eternally, but here and now too. Listen, unless it's a Bible app, there's not an app on your phone that's going to sanctify you. 
so do you need to throw away your phone and throw away the app store and delete all, everything? No, no. You're like, okay, he talked about zombies and he told me to delete social media. I'm out. I'm not coming back. No, but what I'm telling you is, can we fight back a little bit against our fleshly reaction to say, you know what, I've got some free time. I'm going to pick up my phone and just start scrolling reels. Can we fight back a little bit and make a better choice? Say, man, there's something that's going to benefit me a little bit more than that. In fact, not just a little bit more, a lot more than that. If you take all those benefits that I listed earlier about what God's word does, think about the damage that social media does to a person. Does social media offer us much hope? I don't think so. Discouragement? Yeah, there's plenty of that on social media. Is it a great source of sanctification? It can be, I guess, if you follow the right accounts, but it can also be a lot of uh, regressive sanctification on social media. God's word is so much better. I'm just saying, let's make the investment in something that is going to make our life better here and now. Verse 24, he says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, what does it say? What's the next word in your Bibles? Has. What tense is that in? Present tense. Has. Presently eternal life. Notice it doesn't say whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me will have eternal life. It says has eternal life. And then he goes on, not only that, but he goes on to say this. He does not come into judgment, but what does it say next? He has passed. He has passed from death to life. The, the tense there is the perfect tense, meaning it's looking to a past action that has ongoing effects in your life presently. That you presently, when you believe in the word of Christ, when you come to faith in Jesus, you have passed into life. You have eternal life presently. With that in mind, look at verse 25. Truly, truly, he's again saying, listen to me, listen to what I'm saying here. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, but look what he says next. And now is here. An hour is coming, future. We'll talk about that in point three. But right now, he's saying the hour is here even. It's present. When what? When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so also he's granted the Son to have life in himself. John chapter 1, John said of the word, in him was what? Life. Here Jesus is affirming what John said in the introduction. That he is the possessor of life because the Father has given him to have life. And he is here to grant life. What kind of life? Eternal life. Yes, eternal life. When will we experience eternal life? You've probably been trained to think in heaven. Yes, but not only there. And that's what I think Jesus is saying here. The hour is coming, but it's now too. It's right now. It's today. It's January 21st, 2024. Where you sit, you have, Christian, in the room, eternal life, presently. And that makes a difference in our lives, at least it should. That shows up in our lives. Remember that there's no such thing as a Christian zombie. If you have eternal life, don't look like you don't have eternal life. If you have eternal life, it should look different than the world. It should show up. It should show out in the world. When the dead hear, who are the dead? That's all of us at one point, isn't it? Romans 6, 23, what is it? Come on now. For the wages of sin is death, right? That's all of us. Ephesians chapter 2 says you were what in your transgressions and sins? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. So all of us at one point were this. But when we hear the word, the voice of the Son of God, Romans 10, 7 says hearing come by, comes by faith and faith in... Or, in what? In the word of Christ. When we hear the word of Christ, we are saved and then we are given, we have presently eternal life. 
And so is eternal life about eternity? Yes. <laughs> Duh, right? But is it about today too? Yes. This contrast of death and life shows up time and time and time again in the Bible. In fact, here's some verses for you. Romans 6, 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into what? Death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of Life, death and life there in Romans chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 5. I mentioned that we were dead in our transgressions, that he made that point earlier. But he doubles down on it here. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Death and life. Let's get out of Pauline literature. Let's go to Peter for a second. And I'm going to switch my hands because you may be offended this side of the room that you're the dead side and this is the alive side. So we'll, we'll flip-flop in this one. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and what? Live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This contrast, death and life, is one of God's favorite ways to describe what it is to go from unsaved to saved. He uses other ones to be sure, right? Clean, unclean, near, far, strangers, family. But the one he seems to go back to more often than not is this one about death and life. Have you ever wondered why? Well, I think the answer is pretty simple. There is no greater contrast on the face of the planet than that which is dead and that which is alive. Right? There are no such things as zombies. There are no such things as Christian zombies. A dead body is dead. It's not going to do what a living body does. A living body is alive. You're not going to mistake the two. Death and life is one of the greatest contrasts that we know. And I think that's why God uses it so often to talk about what it looks like to be saved. In fact, tonight when we gather and when we all gather, all of us, everybody, church, right? Everybody's coming. When we gather for baptism, not in a lake, but this is the only picture that I could find that was good enough to throw up there. But when we gather over at Frisco First Baptist for baptisms, that's what we are representing in baptisms. You are buried, Romans 6, 4. You are buried with him in his death. You go under the water and then you're brought out into newness of life. One of my favorite stories of baptism was back in, uh, in California. We had a guy be baptized who was blind. Here's the thing, y'all. Nobody, everybody just assumed he knew what baptism was. He got in the tank and he realized that baptism meant means that he goes underwater right there as he was being baptized. So he was taken underwater and he came up and he was laughing. And the pastor said, why are you laughing? He goes, I didn't realize what we were doing. I didn't know that I was going underwater. So, but, but that's what we do in baptism. Why? Because it mirrors this change. That's what we're talking about. It shows the difference that should show up in our lives. And so church, that's what I want us to see. That's what I want us to understand. That this death in life analogy, that, that we were dead and now we're alive in Christ, it's not just about eternity. It's about today too. And so point number two for us this morning is this. Return, realize eternal life isn't just for heaven. Realize eternal life isn't just for heaven. It's not something that you've got in your pocket to pull out and use down the road when you get to heaven. It's something that you have now that should be making a difference in the way that you live today. Eternal life is about eternity, and it's also about January 21st, 2024. It's about today. That eternal life should show up in our lives. Why? How does it come? It comes from what? Hearing? Okay, parents in the room, I'm going to need your help on this one. When you teach your children as they're growing up, you say, okay, kids, you need to listen and what? Come on. 
Obey. Listen and obey. Those two things go hand in hand. They haven't heard us until they've what? Listened and obeyed. So when we hear the voice of Christ, we are hearing the content, the call from from the old self to the new self, to be born again from the old to the new. We are hearing that. And it's not just that we're hearing it, that it's it's giving us knowledge, but that it should transform our life into obedience. James 1.22, don't just be hearers of the word, but what? Doers of the word. And so when we think about this hearing that produces life in us, that's why it leads to this point to say, man, eternal life isn't just for heaven. That it makes a difference in our lives today. Why does God still have you here, church? A couple of things for us to think about. How about number one, evangelism. You are here for the people that God has in your life that he wants you to reach for Christ. My family and I have been doing these fire pit Fridays when the weather is, uh, is not like Alaska. Delaska, Texas, Alaska has, has been thrown out a bunch of times. We've been doing these fire pit Fridays on our driveway and we've been inviting some people from the church, which is great and we enjoy fellowship with the people from the church. But really what we are, are celebrating is when our neighbors across the street come over and, and sit around the fire pit with us and we get to talk with them and get to know them and, and look for open doors for the gospel with them because right now they don't know Christ and we want them to know Christ. It's one of the reasons, church, why you're here. You're here to, to begin to take the gospel to people. You're an ambassador, Jesus says for him. That's one of the reasons why you're here. That's why eternal life is, is part of today and not just the future. What else are you here to do? How about just fellowship in general? These relationships in this room. God is, has you here so that you can stir one another up to love and good deeds. You can be that source of encouragement in another brother or sister's life. You're here for accountability. You're here to come alongside a brother or sister who's struggling in a particular area and say, hey, let's, let's meet together. I want to I help you through this situation. You're here for encouragement. You're here for serving the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We got all kinds of appendages in this room. We got eyeballs and, and toes. We got elbows. We got ears. We got everything here in this room. And Jesus says, God says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God is doing that because he's got you here to play a part in this body of Christ, to serve the body of Christ. Look, that's part of what we're doing. That's what eternal life looks like today, January 21st, 2024. It looks. It isn't just is. It looks. It shows up in our life. But listen, here's the thing. I, I, I played soccer in high school, and I don't mean to brag, but I started on JV three years. Uh, Senior year, my, my coach felt and took pity on me, so he, he gave me a spot on, on, uh, on the senior varsity team. I didn't get a whole lot of playing time, and uh, this is soccer season right now, so you can know it's, it's cold weather outside. Man, the, the mop-up time that I got, when I got off the bench, the fight for my seat was like, it was like pit bulls going at each other, because my seat was so warm on that bench. <laughs> I'd been there for so long, and people were like, I want PJC, give me PJC. Nobody really wants to be on the bench, do they, right? Or I, I tried out for baseball um, my sophomore year, and, and I made the team. I may have shared this with you before, but my coach came up to me. He was like, Burner, you know why you made the team? And I said, because my athletic prowess, coach. He said, nope. He said, you're a great encourager. I was like, great, I'll pick out my spot on the bench right now. <laughs> this one, is this one open? Great, I'll, I'll take that one. Nobody wants to be on the bench. But y'all, we have churches filled with spiritual bench warmers. And I want to make sure that that's not this church. There's two benches that I want you to think about and, and to think about avoiding in life today. The first bench is this one. It's the bench of being afraid of this world. It's a bench that, that, that retreats inward. It's a bench that thinks, man, you know what? 
you don't know how much suffering I've got in my life right now. And so I, I can't live the life that God wants me to live. I can't invest in someone else right now because, man, I just, I've got, it's been a hard life for me. I don't have it in me to, to stir somebody else up to love and good deeds. Or maybe it's hurt and betrayal that's put you on this bench. Well, I was a part of this church in the past, and this pastor did this in the past. And so you're reticent, and you're holding back, and you don't want to open up to another brother or sister in Christ. You don't want to join a community group. You don't want to be vulnerable in front of people because you've been hurt in the past. Or maybe you're on this bench just because of anxiety. You're crippled by a fear. You think about evangelizing. You think about sharing the gospel with somebody, and, and, and that voice in the back of your head that says, man, you, you don't know it well enough to talk to somebody. That voice in the back of your head that says, what if they reject you? What if you get fired from your job for talking about Jesus? That voice keeps you on the bench. Or maybe you're on the bench because of self-righteousness and legalism. You look down at other believers across the room and you think, man, I, I, am, I don't need to join a community group. I should be leading a community group. Or maybe you don't want to go evangelize because for you, man, the world's just an icky place. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to taint myself with what's in the world. Or maybe you're on this bench because of just flat-out selfishness and entitlement. You think, man, I deserve a certain kind of life. If you're on that bench this morning, then you need to hear the voice of Christ calling you to take up your cross, to die to yourself, and to follow him. You need to hear the voice of Christ saying that you are an ambassador for God, that God wants to make his appeal through you to your neighbor, to your friend, to your family, to your coworker saying, be reconciled to God through Christ. You need to hear the voice of Christ this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, saying that God has given you a gift to be used for the edification and the building up of the body of Christ. You need to hear the voice beckoning you off the bench and into the game. The second bench you need to avoid this morning is this, living for the world, living in love with the world. It's not just the danger of living afraid of the world, but the danger of living in love with the world. That one is another one that, that, that we need to avoid as well. And what does this bench look like? Well, this bench, bench, you may be on that bench because you have worldliness just staining your life. You're one person here on Sundays, but you're a different person the rest of the life, the rest of your, your week. What you're taking in, what you're watching, the social media accounts that you follow, the words that come out of your mouth, you are somebody that has been tainted by worldliness. Maybe you're on this bench because of laziness, comfort. I just don't want to. Other people can do that. I, I don't need to do that. I don't, I don't need to be involved in men's Bible study. I don't need to be involved in women's Bible study. I, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm fine. Maybe you're on this bench because of relationships. In other words, your closest friendships are not believers, but they're unbelievers. And you fear having to give them up if you really go all in after Jesus. Or maybe you're on this bench because of just reputation. You're worried about what people will think if you start really abandoning self to follow Jesus. And it'll hurt the way people think about me. Or maybe you're on the, the, the bench of love with the world because of just flat-out unbelief. You don't really believe that Jesus could come back at any minute. Maybe you're on this bench because of Christianized karma. You think, well, I show up at church, so that should be good enough. God should bless my life because I'm here. Maybe you're just on this bench because of sin. Unconfessed sin, unrepented of sin. If you're on that bench, you need to hear 
Jesus calling you to follow him, calling you to be, yes, of the world, but, or in the world, but not of the world. You need to hear the voice of Christ through Peter saying, be holy as he is holy. You need to hear the voice of Christ saying, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. You need to hear the voice of Christ saying, you are strangers and aliens in this world. This world is not your home. You need to hear the voice of Christ calling you off the bench and into the game. Because eternal life isn't just about heaven. It's not just about heaven. He continues then in verse 26. Now we're going to talk about that future. Now we're going to talk about the future resurrection that awaits. Verse 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Again, John 1. And he has given him, the Son, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Emergency brakes should be pulling right now, tires screeching, because that's a reference back to Daniel chapter 7. You will see one like the Son of Man coming on the, the clouds. So as Jesus says this to a Jewish audience, they're going, whoa, he's claiming to be the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7 right now. That's why right after this, he says, do not marvel at this. Don't be astounded. Don't be shocked at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Whose voice? The Son of Man, Jesus' voice. And come out. Now, there's a crazy thing that happens in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 27, 52, when Jesus cries out with a loud voice while on the cross and yields up his spirit. Matthew records that the tombs in Jerusalem, some of them open and the, the dead are actually brought to life at that point. I, I, I think that's a glimpse of what this is, the ultimate fulfillment will be in the future. That they're going to hear the voice, not at, at him yielding up his spirit, but the voice of his return. And they are going to be resurrected. They're going to come out of the tomb. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Listen, y'all, when we die, it's evident that our bodies stay here. We put them in a casket. We bury them in the ground. Our souls are a different story. Our souls go to be either in heaven or in hell based on what we do with Jesus, based on whether or not we've heard the voice of Jesus and repented from our sins and believed in him for salvation. What we do with Jesus is the litmus test for where the soul goes after we die. But for both souls, the one in heaven and the one in hell, there's a resurrection body prepared by God. One for eternal glory, one for eternal suffering. And these are the two resurrections in view here in John chapter 5. Now we are talking about eternity. Now we are focusing and casting our view to the then and there and not just the here and now. Point number two, we were talking about the here and now. Eternal life isn't just about then and there. It's about here and now. It's about today. Now, though, Jesus is saying, but there is an eternal element to this. There is a future element to this. The hour is coming. Notice he doesn't say and now is at this point. Now he's focused on the final moment, the final call when the dead will be raised to life. The future life that awaits for both the just and the unjust. The two resurrections. One to the resurrection of life. We read about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. The dead in Christ will rise first. This is at his return for his bride at the rapture. The, this is the moment where the dead are resurrected. The, the, the bodies are resurrected and given to the saints. So that's the, the, the first resurrection. But there's another resurrection, and that's going to take place. We read about that one in Revela Revelation chapter 20. That's the, the resurrection of those that have been raised for judgment. And this is when the sea and death gives up those that are in it, and they appear before the great white throne. 
which is the judgment of the lost. Two resurrections. One, I trust that those in this room would prefer over the other. The resurrection of life. And I hope that you are confident in that resurrection this morning. That you have recognized that you have a problem, and that is sin. And that sin has driven a a gap between you and God that is insurmountable. Because he's holy and just, and, and that sin has to be punished. And we can't pay that sin. We can't satisfy the punishment that our sins deserve. But God, out of his grace and his mercy, grace being unmerited favor, mercy being getting, or not getting, rather, what we deserve, God, out of his grace and mercy, gave us Jesus to pay that penalty for us through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. So that now if we will repent, if we will turn from our sins and trust in Jesus for salvation, trust that Jesus paid that penalty, trust that Jesus not only satisfied God's wrath, but also gave us his full righteousness. If we will trust in that and trust that he rose from the dead, we will be forgiven and we will have guaranteed for us. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in John 5, the resurrection of life, the resurrection that's coming. I hope that that's the resurrection that you're confident in. And that's the resurrection that I want us to focus on in this third point, because that life is coming. In point number two, we focus on the fact that that life should have a bearing on this life. Here's what I want us to think about in this point. This life should have a bearing on that life. Point number three is this. Live for the life that will last. Live today for the life that will last, the life that is coming, the resurrection to life that will happen. A few weeks ago, I I think it was, I used the illustration of a new house versus an old house. There's that time where you have the new house or the new apartment or the new lease and, and, and you're waiting to take possession of it and you're just excited about that. And I, I talked about that in, in, in regards to thinking, setting our minds on eternity, setting our minds on heaven. You guys remember that? Obviously not. That's cool. Um, <laughs> but go back there with me, if you will. You've got the new house. It's waiting for you, but you haven't yet taken possession of it. You're still in the old house. It wouldn't make any sense, right, for you to go out and buy all new furniture that fits in your old house, would it? It wouldn't make any sense for you to go out and buy a TV that fits just right over the fireplace in your old house that you don't have in your new house. It, it wouldn't make any sense for you to go out and buy your favorite paint colors and, and have the whole interior of your old house repainted with all of your favorite colors before you're going to the new house. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? Why? Because you're not going to be in the old house much longer. And so to spend all of that time and effort and money and resource investing in the old house when the new house is where you're going, I mean, that, that, that's foolish, isn't it? We would never waste time and money investing in a place that we weren't going to be around for much longer. Likewise, we need to think about how much time money, talents, treasure, focus, attention, we're investing in this place when this isn't going to be the place that we're going to be around much longer. Peter says we're we're strangers and aliens. We're just passing through. The world is not my home, right? Our sending pastor used to to phrase it this way. What's going to matter 100 years from now? There may be a couple of babies floating around in the room that might be around 100 years from now, but for the majority of us in the room, we're not going to be. In other words, we're going to be dead. And so what you're filling your life with right now, what's going to matter 100 years from now? I want you to think about your life for a moment and how fleeting it is. If you live, let's say, 75 years, okay? That's 657,000 hours 
of your life. Okay, now I want you to think about how much time you spend sleeping. Let's take an eight-hour average. Some of you sleep way more than that. I'm looking at you students over here. Some of you new parents sleep way less than that. But maybe let's say at the end of our lives, it averages out to eight hours a day. Okay, you're going to be asleep for eight hours a day. That means awake, you only have 438,000 hours now to live your life if you're going to live to 75. And for most of you in this room, you're fast approaching the halfway point on that. If not, you, you've left that in the rearview mirror a few years ago. So you have far less than that. This is from infancy. This is from going home from the hospital. This is how many hours that you have. Now I want you to take your commute out of that time. I want you to take your food out of that time. I want you to take brushing your teeth out of that time. I want you to take your showers out of that time. I want you to take all of the, the other routines and the monotony of life that you have to do that's part of life and think about how much time that takes away from those 438,000 hours that you have after you sleep. My point is this, y'all. Our life is fleeting. Are you living it for what's going to last? Are you living it for what's going to matter in the resurrection of life? What does that look like? I'm not suggesting this. Here's what I'm not suggesting. I'm not suggesting that we go inward and become a, a holy huddle, that we, we come in here and cloister together and, and we, we retreat from the world and we think all we can do is, is listen to the ESV Bible on audio and, and chant, uh, Gregorian chant. <laughs> I don't know why that came to mind. Don't do that either. Hey, I'm, I'm not suggesting that, that all you can do is become a, a spiritual hermit. In fact, that's not what we're called to do. I spent part of point two talking about that, right? I'm just thinking we need to be strategic in what we're thinking about and how our life is making an impact in the life to come. So let me ask you a couple questions. Can you spend Saturday at the soccer fields with your kids and have it matter for your resurrection life? Yes. Yes, you can. But you have to do it intentionally. You have to do it intentionally. In other words, when you're there at the soccer fields, how are you interacting with the other families that are on the team? How are you interacting with the coaches and the referees in the words that you're you're using in, in regards to them? How do you teach your kids to handle disappointment on the field? How do you teach your kids to handle loss? How do you teach your kids about what's going to matter a hundred years from now when they're out there on the soccer field? Those are ways that you can spend Saturday at the soccer field and it's going to matter eternally. Can you pursue wealth and have it matter in your resurrection life? Yeah, absolutely you can if you're intentional about it, if you're thoughtful about it? How are you going about amassing that wealth? Is your integrity intact so that when you are standing before the beam of seat of Christ, because that will be examined? If you do it with integrity, that's going to matter in your resurrection life. Are you using a portion of that wealth that you're amassing for kingdom purposes? That's going to matter in eternal life. Are you teaching your children about God's provision? That's going to matter in eternal life. Are you teaching your children that money is a servant and not a master? That's going to matter in eternal life. What about this? Can you you pursue health and have it matter in your resurrection life? Absolutely, 100%. I used to joke with people that my goal is to create the greatest contrast between my earthly body and my glorified body as possible. (laughs) So bring on the Twinkies, right? Right? 
or the Christmas tree cakes. I'm almost out of those, by the way. <laughs> Can you pursue health and have it matter in your resurrection life? 100%. Yes, absolutely. How? Well, is the goal of your pursuit of a healthy body so that you can have a more fruitful ministry? Are you, are you mindful that you won't have your glorified body here? In other words, are you realistic about your goals in this? Are you more dependent on God to sustain your health than you are your dietary decisions to sustain your health? We can pursue health and have it matter eternally. Can you be a mom? And help your kids learn to read and develop their, their, their social skills and have it matter in your resurrection life. Yes, 100%. You have to be intentional about it, though. Are you praying for their souls as you teach them? Are you praying that God would make them readers of God's word and not just readers of Berenstein Bears? Are you praying that they will find deep relationships in the body of Christ with other believers as you're teaching them about how to be friends with their siblings and share the toy? See, we can do everything that we do in life and have it matter eternally. We just need to think about it. We can't kick it into neutral. We can't kick it into cruise control and think it, 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 it'll just happen. It won't happen. It won't happen. Because we are still fallen. We are still sinners. So we need to be intentional, thoughtful about this about why our life matters eternally. If we live in the here and now with an eye toward the ine inevitable then and there, we can have a freedom about our lives to go about and do all these things without worrying about, okay, am I doing this for the right motives, for the right reason? Having that eternal perspective will help so much. Eternity is not just about heaven. The word of Christ instills the life of Christ in the people of Christ for the glory of Christ. His, his word received, instilled, transforms for his glory. Have you heard the voice of Christ this morning, listening and obeying? And does your life bear that out? Does your life bear that out? There's no such thing as a Christian zombie. The church is full of those that, if they've heard the voice of Christ, are alive. You have eternal life. You have passed from death to life. Or it's full of those who are dead. There's no in-between. So I pray this morning that our church will be a church full of those that have heard and responded and believed. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the truth of his word. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for salvation. We're so grateful for all of these realities and these truths in our life. And we thank you that eternal life isn't just about heaven, that it starts today, right now, and that it can impact our lives and how we think and how we operate and how we interact with each other, how we fellowship with each other. And so, God, we thank you for those things and we, we praise you for this in Christ. Mm -hmm.